welcome to this episode of the Tennis IQ Podcast. I'm Brian Lomax. And I'm Josh Berger. For today's episode, we're going to be discussing working with teams, working with different types of tennis teams. These could include high school teams, college teams, adult teams like USTA teams. And what are some strategies and tactics that um, individuals on those teams can use, that coaches can use, that sports psychology professionals can use with working with these teams? Um, and to, to really get this conversation started, uh, we, we thought it would be important to sort of break down um, what tennis is in a team setting. So when tennis is played in a, in a team environment and when individuals are competing as part of a team, this is different from a lot of other sports, be it soccer, football, baseball, where um, it's, a, it's, um, it's a co-active environment rather than an interactive environment and it's individuals who are still competing individually against other individuals from the other team and that um and the score adds up um for you know for one team or the other um but it's still an individual sport in that team setting so i think um some of the challenges here are that a lot of you know a lot of people are had come from a background of playing um playing tennis for themselves and competing individually. Um, they maybe have, um, you know, certain motivations that are based on themselves and based on their own beliefs and their own experiences. Um, and then all of a sudden, maybe it's college tennis, maybe it's adult uh, league tennis, all of a sudden they're in this team setting, this team environment. Um, and there are a lot of factors at play there. Um, so Brian, uh, when, when you think about um, sort of some of the, some of the factors that, that are in play when it comes to teams, tennis teams, um, what, where's, where, where do you start to uh, conceptualize this topic? I think you, beginning with the coactive piece is important, understanding that we are accumulating um, up to a particular score. I think it's also useful to think about the lineup in a team because it's supposed to be order of strength. Sure. And let's... For those who haven't seen Eric Buderak's TED Talk, it's worth watching. And there's an element of this in, in that. Um, he mentioned that he was obsessed with becoming number one on the team. And, he, and his coach told him, well, you're sort of missing the point here. It's not about being one, two, three, six. It's more about becoming the best player you can become. Now, that's a great perspective for an individual. Um but when we're on a team, we also have to realize that, okay, you're number one. Your spot still only counts for one point. It doesn't count any more than any other, you know, match that's being played. So if you're playing one or six, both count for one point. Um, and so I think it's, you know, helpful to realize some of that. Um, I think also, you know, for those who are playing at the top of the lineup and maybe feeling a little overmatched, uh, you're often part of your role there might just be to hold that spot to allow others to play in their spots, maybe in, in, in matches that they have more realistic chances of winning, right? So you can sometimes see this with a team where they don't have a true one or two player, but somebody's got to play one or two in essence, really to just to fill those spots and let the rest of the team do what they can do. For me, Josh, and I think 
you'd you would agree with this even at the college level a lot of the matches are won at the lower positions because it's a question of depth you can have the best player in the world on your team but if you don't have a good you know whatever the format is right different states for high school have different formats college it's all pretty much the same right one through six adult level teams it's going to be different there may only be one or two single spots and a number of doubles but those you know those whatever is sort of at the bottom maybe two or number two or three doubles or you know number five or six singles that's where a lot of your matches are going to be won or lost and you've got to realize how important those spots are to your team and so when teams are working together it can't just be about individual identity individual ego it's got to be how do we strengthen ourselves as a team how do we push each other to be better so that when we go out there um, we feel confident that we as a team can deal with who our opponents are and it's not just about me I think um, you know as we go through this we're going to talk about how do we create team identity how do we go from I and me which is a lot of how we've been raised as tennis players Especially through, if, if you play junior tennis, obviously much more of an emphasis on singles. Really not a ton of ten, uh, team stuff. There's some. Maybe you played junior team tennis. Maybe you played on a zonal team or an intersectional team. But a, that's a, you know, uh, not the majority of the experience. The majority of the experience is about you and trying to beat other players. And you're not really part of a team per se. Um, and so that's a big transition when you go to college or even when you start to play in adult league stuff is how do you change from I and me to we and us. And I think that's a big part of developing, even for a, a co-active sport like tennis, a successful team. Yeah, and it's, it's very different. Um, let, let's say the, the junior athlete that gets to college, right? So it's very different the path that um, let's say a tennis player compared to a soccer player takes where a soccer player is used to playing on soccer teams from the time they're growing up. And it's always been about we and the team as a whole, rather than that individual's pursuit of their goals. Um, so, and, and on the other, the other thing I would add is especially at the higher levels of the sport, um, whether it be a, a junior competing in ITF tournaments, a junior competing in, um, you know, national tournaments or higher level regional regional tournaments. Um, there's always there's always some sort of team that the player has around them. Maybe it's a coach, maybe it's the parents, maybe it's a sports psychology professional, strength and conditioning, whatever the the other the aspects of that team are. Uh, but the difference is that the individual, the athlete, is the center of that team, and all of a sudden. Um, you, rather than being at the center of that team and having um, the, the different team members there um, to sort of help you with your goals, you are a part of a larger environment now of trying to meet goals as a team, trying to win matches as a team. And you could be in a situation where you're winning matches, um, you're, you're winning your own matches, but the team is losing or vice versa. Um, so it, it, it is a big adjustment. Um, and I've, I've seen this certainly um, on teams I've been a part of, uh, both in terms of playing and, and coaching. Um, and it can definitely be an adjustment for um, a lot of players, I, I would say. Um, 
And I think, uh, I think you brought up a good point about that, that team identity. And I, um, you know, if, if teams have a, you know, certain vision for where they want to head, that's sort of almost a manifesto or, okay, who, who are we, you know, what is that team that we want to become? Is it, you know, what differentiates us from those other teams out there? Is it how hard we work every day? Is it the type of behavior that we embody on the court? Is it the mental side? Are we trying to be the mentally toughest team out there? What are we, what are we aiming to be? Who do we want to be? Um, so I think that's, that's a big piece. And then, um, you know, as a sports psychology professional or as a coach, um, helping to put together that, that map or that, that roadmap or that game plan for how to get there, you know, putting together those different pieces, you know, these are conversations that can be done that can, that you, that should certainly be started before the season starts, um, but should certainly be revisited. And, you know, maybe there's certain things that are adjusted along the way, um, but trying to look back at it, at a, you know, at a consistent, um, and consistent intervals. Um, so looking back at those, at that vision, um, regularly and trying to think, okay, do certain adjustments need to be made? Is this still our vision or our identity as a team? Um, and, you know, Brian, I'm curious, you know, when it comes to that team identity, but also some of those other pieces like that, you know, like that vision, um, what are some, from your experience, what are some important pieces of that in terms of putting that together as a team? I think, first of all, realizing why having a social or like a team identity matters. Why does, you know, in essence, why does we matter as something um, to help us get through really transitioning from I and me to we and us and helping, sure. helping players uh, realize that. Now, I think this is a bit easier when we try this with, say, a high school or a college team because they have a coach. And the coach can, you know, more or less dictate some things. You know, there there's certain levels of autonomy that the players have, but not as complete as, say, where you're playing on an adult league team, which is completely voluntary to a certain extent, right? How much work you put in. And uh, you may have a captain of your team. You may even have a, a pro or a coach from your club working with you. But it's a little bit different, right? So, you know, with those teams, it's got to be – there's got to be a really, in a way, a stronger desire to become a we from the players as opposed to like if you and I were coaching a college team. We can pretty much say, hey, this is the exercise we're going to do today and 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 get the players to work at it and, and also give them some autonomy. But I think it's easier to put together. So I just want to say that because I know a lot of our listeners are in uh, – are people who play league tennis. And there could be real resistance to doing some of the things we're going to say. And I get that. Um, but I would still push to, to consider doing some of these exercises with your teams. I think um, in working with some women's adult league teams, they've been very open to doing these types of things. Um, but everybody's got different things going on, right? There's different ego concerns and so forth. And, that, and that's why talking about the we, like why does we matter, I think is a really good first step. Because if, if you don't think we matters, then we're pretty much done. We're not going to go much further than that. Um, and then people are just going to bring whatever they bring. Um, and we won't realize some of the benefits of having that 
team or group identity. Um, there are benefits to motivation. There are benefits to being resilient. There are benefits to being um, feeling supported, confidence, really group efficacy, like we as a team can do this. Um, and so I think that's really a good first step is whether you're a coach or sports psych professional or a part of an adult league team, how do you get yourselves rallied around and understanding, you know, why does the we matter? Um, I think that's a good starting point in terms of uh, helping teams develop this identity. And so I just want to get your reaction to that, Josh. Yeah, no, I, I, I'm definitely in agreement there. I think um, having that conversation can start to unearth some of those values. Um, you know, maybe that we matters because ultimately the, the different individuals on the team really value um, achievement and value, you know, winning. And that's, you know, one of the, one of the big goals is okay. Um, for our USTA um, league team, we want to make it to sections. We want to make it to nationals this year. Um, and, you know, that's something that's important. Maybe different members of the team have had some of those experiences and that starts to come out in terms of that initial conversation. So I, I, I really like that idea. I think that's helpful in terms of, um, and then also I think it makes some of the inevitable tough decisions over the course of the year, a little bit easier. You mentioned that, um, you mentioned lineups and, uh, I know from my experience as a coach lineups are one of one of if not the most challenging things because it's a you know ultimately it's a subjective decision there there could be certain um you know data points that you factor in but ultimately it's a subjective decision and um you know somebody's on the right side of things and somebody's on the wrong side of things and it's often quite close between players and when you know I, I think when those decisions are made and somebody's on the wrong end of it and they're they're hurt by that decision understanding that you know this is not about me not about you know you or somebody else in the team but this is for the team's benefit as a whole this is for we this is for us um keeping that in mind can go a long way there to in terms of that individual's morale in terms of that individual you know continuing to work hard and continuing to um, really stay engaged with the team. Cause I I'd say, you know, there, there are certainly situations where that happens and somebody's pulled from the lineup or somebody's moved down in the lineup and maybe they disengage or maybe they're, you know, they, they take that as a personal shot to them. So I think having some of these conversations ahead of time and under, you know, really trying to emphasize that this is about the, the team as a whole and the team's benefit and, you know, that decisions will be made in terms of, what's best for the team, but also individuals should be prioritizing what's best for the team rather than just thinking about themselves, um, make some of those decisions and make some of those um, situations throughout the course of a season easier. So when you can get ahead of the, that ahead of, yeah. But when you, when you can get ahead of that situation before it occurs, maybe, maybe you talk about some of that. Well, Hey, you know, we're prioritizing we over um, you know, me and you know the each individual person because ultimately we have goals as the as a as a team that can only be achieved if we each put the team first right if we're thinking about you know we have a match the next morning um 
what are what are people doing the night before? Are people going out and hanging out, staying up late, or partying? Are um, or are we okay? You know, this is a really important match for the team. Uh, maybe it's best to you know keep that in mind and try to go to bed early and prioritize you know rest um, and preparation ahead of time. So I think um, you know having some of those things laid out clearly um, early on makes some of those decisions for individuals a lot easier because it's you understand that there's something bigger than yourself that you're playing for and your reasons for um for your day-to-day behaviors may be a little bit different keeping some of those things in mind yeah and i think um it is always difficult to be to be the player who's maybe left out of the lineup yeah or or moved out or, or something like that and part of me as a coach i'm okay with that i'm okay with you being disappointed that says you want to play. That's a good thing. Um, and but as you said, now we got to try to shift the, that disappointment into okay. What can you do for me today? So it might be I need you to really cheer on so and so today. I need you to be there for us, or I want you to be. Uh, you know, in certain situations, you can have a player coach. I, I need you to coach. You know, on court three, I want you to help them. Or I need you to do stats for someone. So, you know, you as a leader, captain, coach, can you find some role for that player and get them to buy into it? As you were saying, trying to do these things for the common good. I'm okay with a player being disappointed, but, you know, obviously we need them to shift to to what's best for the team in in that moment. And if we go back to something you said earlier, Josh, if we have reflected on what our team values are that may help us in that conversation with you know, if if some of our values are perhaps teamwork or something you know hard work being there for each other whatever those values are there might be a value that we can tie this back to and even if let's say you're not on the court but if you do a great job of coaching somebody or you do a great job bringing energy to the match, you contributed to it, um, and that's important. That your energy, perhaps some coaching advice, might be the difference in a deciding match. And if we're too busy, you know, kind of wallowing in our own, you know, sorrow for not playing or whatever, or disappointment for not playing, um, maybe you don't. Maybe you're not the difference maker. You could have been in a particular match. So I think there's a lot of things that people can be doing, even as a part of a team, that have nothing to do with actually hitting shots out on the court. Um, And perhaps those kinds of discussions could go into, in the preseason, hey, these are some things that might happen. I might need to put other people in place. This is how we want to handle it. Um, these are some of the things we may ask you to do, but this call comes back to our value of X, togetherness, unity, whatever, um, so that people can really handle this better in the moment. Because that, if it were just a surprise that morning and this has never happened before, it could be really difficult to deal with. Sure, sure. And I think it's it's also important how that coach handles it. I mean, it can be can be handled in a, in a number of different ways where 
you know, if it, if it is that morning or if it is, you know, right before the match when that decision is made, um, sometimes player can take it, you know, in a, in a harsher way um, or take it, you know, more personally. So I think there's, you know, there's, there's better and worse ways to handle that situation as a coach, as, as a decision maker, but yeah, you know, getting out ahead of, ahead of it, um, you know, by having some of those conversations early is important. And I think for, for players, um, you know, for, for athletes that, that are in that situation, um, understanding that, yes, you have a role to play. Maybe it's cheering and supporting your teammates. Maybe it's coaching. Maybe it's, you know, taking down stats or notes from, you know, your player or for the opponent. Um, but it's also the, the warm-up piece um, where, you know, generally in a team environment, uh, you know, especially in high school or college tennis, uh, the players in the team are all warming up together. So if one player is dejected and disappointed by not being a part of um, the lineup on that particular day and they're not moving their feet and they're not really, you know, they're just sort of going through the motions during the warm-up process, that negatively affects their teammates. Um, or I, I've even seen the situation where somebody's moved down in the lineup and they're still in the lineup. They still have a, you know, a singles match, perhaps a singles and doubles match, but they're disappointed and you can sense that disappointment or that frustration um, in their, you know, in their emotions going, going into that match. And that, I think we, we talked a little bit about this, um, be- before the conversation, but there's, there's a certain emotional contagion piece where one, you know, if, if one individual is, um, feeling that way and is expressing that outwardly, um, other people can pick up on that. Other members of the team can pick up on that. And that can certainly be contagious. That can, um, other people's other people can be affected by those emotions, by that negativity. And rather than, rather than um, people on the team focusing on, okay, I have an important match in 15 minutes that's starting. I want to really be focused on my strategy here. I want to be focused on my mindset and my attitude. Um, you're thinking what's going on with that person next. to me. Um, so that can, you know, I, I think it's important in that to, to remember in that team environment that, however you're acting or however, you know, whatever your emotions are, does have an impact on that person next to you, does have an impact on all those people that you're around. And therefore, the goal of everybody who's out there at the same time is to be as positive and upbeat as possible, to be as optimistic as as possible. Uh, If you are losing, and, you know, we all face situations where, where we're losing, your job then, I think, in a team environment becomes keeping your opponent on the court as long as possible. Giving your teammates opportunities to stay in their matches. Uh, This is especially important at the college level because many matches are ended once the the match itself is clinched, right? So, for example, if uh, you're playing a Division I college match, it's really best of seven once one team reaches four, very often the match just ends and all the other matches that are in, in play just stop. Mm-hmm. And so the longer you keep your opponent out there, the better chance you give of your teammates to hang in there and maybe turn a match around. Maybe you turned it around. Um, so, yeah, that, that, that emotional contagion is really important. And we discussed that fairly in depth with Bob Dallas in a previous interview. He's the women's coach at Dartmouth. So if people want to go back and listen to that, that was actually a great conversation with respect to teams, especially college tennis. Um, so I think um, 
understanding how emotional contagion works. It works both positively and negatively. And as you said, Josh, the negative piece ends up generally putting more pressure on players who are still out there. And then that can that can affect their performance as they as if they feel more pressure, like, oh, so-and-so is really struggling today. I really have to win now. Um, you know, I've played in some league matches where at the beginning of the match, I remember this one time where my spot was not really the contested one. My team was supposed to win relatively easily, and um, my spot, I, I was playing one, and then, you know, if I lost, it wasn't a big deal. We had enough strength at the bottom of our lineup that it wasn't going to matter. Uh, now, that all changed when one of our doubles teams ended up not clinching. They were up 8-2 in a 10-point tiebreaker and lost somehow eight points in a row. <laughs> and then it came down to my match. Uh, so at a certain point, I went from like no pressure whatsoever to, oh, by the way, the entire thing is now riding on you. And this is the final of the league. Um, and then you have to you have to deal with that. Um, so you just have to realize some of these things that are going on between courts. You know, I think that's important. Um, if we come back to the values piece, Josh, because I think that's really important as we begin thinking about how can captains, coaches, decision makers work with teams on developing that identity. You know, we've talked about the, you know what are the important values to us as a team. Um, and it's great to have that conversation, but you can't leave it there. Then it's got to be about, okay, what do we do? Like, who do we want to be as a team and what do we do to become that team? What do we do to, um, fulfill those values? What are the behaviors of that? Cause we could say, oh, we're hardworking, professional, we have unity. Those are all great words. But are they attached to things we're actually going to practice or do on a day-to-day basis? Um, you know, it's similar to even when we get to goals. It's great to set goals, but if we don't have a plan for it, um, it doesn't really matter. Um, so, what are your thoughts on taking values to the next level? Yeah, I think uh, I, I would. I would agree that it has to have has to have a plan has to you have to be able to lay it out and those values need to inform um, how a team goes about its its business day to day um, whether that means that those values are directly aligned with goals and the, those goals um, you know are, are implemented um, in terms of the, the plan for the season um, you know wh- whether it's the, the goals piece or whether that is, um, in terms of how the players and the coaches conduct themselves on a day-to-day basis, um, without that action piece um, and without the decision being made um, on a daily basis to um, embody those that, that vision, then there's there's no point. Then then it, you don't actually get anywhere. So um, no, I, I think the the action piece and that commitment piece to to that vision to to that group identity, that team identity is is what's most important here. And without that, then it's, it's, it's wishful thinking. Okay. This is who we'd love. This is who we'd like to be as a team, but we don't actually have a plan in place to, to do that. Um, so the, the so it's not going to happen. It's pie in the sky. Um, but with a plan, 
And with that, you know, really breaking down that plan, really laying out, okay, we want to be the most hardworking team. Okay, what does that mean? What does that mean on court, right? We have um, 90 minutes today, or we have two hours today to practice. How are we going to design that practice and um, so that we can embody that vision? How, what are we going to be doing off court to embody that, that goal that we have, that identity that we have as a team? Um, whether that's the strength and conditioning piece, whether that's the recovery piece, um, right? If we, if, you know, whatever our vision is, if our, if our identity is to be, you know, a real, you know, the, the most sportsman-like team out there, um, what are we doing on a day-to-day basis? How are we designing our practices? How are we designing our, um, the, the way that we are responding to matches in terms of, um, you know, recapping in terms of learning from our matches to put, put those different goals and that, that identity that we have as a team in mind to keep some of those things in mind. So to me, it's all about, not it's all about, but it's a big piece of it is the, is, you know, that preparation piece and, and how practices and how sort of the, the course of a season is designed with those things in mind. Yeah, I, I think that's right. And, um, then it comes down to once you've designed some of those action plans, how do you reinforce those standards? How do you revisit them daily to make sure we're, you know, um, achieving some of those expectations of of performance of those of those levels that we're looking for, whether it's sportsmanship or effort or attitude, that yep. type of thing. Um, so I think that's that's all good stuff. I think one way to help out with this, and this is something you mentioned before we started today's episode was on uh you know group leadership this might be more about i would say high school and college than than adult league teams but maybe not really depends on on the team but do you have aside from a coach do you have uh, a leadership group that may be made up of um you know so maybe some seniors some juniors um that can help reinforce this and, and, and buy into it. And it can really end up being a, a conduit between the coaches and, and all of the players. Um, so I think that that's a, is really something that teams will want to develop is to have a solid shared leadership team. Uh, this is something I've done with a couple of teams and, and even facilitating meetings into you know meetings between that leadership team and the coaches can be very very helpful to get them all on the same page um so the coaches can can talk about you know what they're seeing what their concerns are the leadership team can talk about what what are the concerns of the players uh, and then they have a, a more common understanding and um and communication just tends to flow so much better so a lot of actually some of the the exercises we've been talking about in terms of, um, you know, reflecting on who we are, who we want to be, what our values are. That's actually a great first step is doing that with the coaches and the, the shared leadership group um, before doing it with, uh, with an entire team. Um, and I think you mentioned something, Josh, and maybe you can talk about this and how you've seen it play out, is when you have that shared leadership team not just like one captain or not just seniors. You can begin to pass on and really cultivate leadership as an important part of your team so that 
when people graduate, you're not just starting from zero again. Absolutely. No, I, I, that's, I think that's a big piece of it. Um, that there in, in high school, college tennis, there is an inevitable flow of new people coming in and people leaving. And I guess on any sort of team, that's going to be the case, but maybe in a, in, you know, in a league setting, um, that's going to be less predictable than, than in an academic setting. But um, trying to come up with ways where you can build on each season and that that leadership builds on each season so that ideally you're starting to create a cycle of leadership. And um, yes, you know, with each season, some of the upperclassmen may be the ones, you know, leading the team, the captains are the ones leading the team, but the, you know, the, the freshmen, the sophomores um, are learning some of those leadership traits from the people that are currently leading the team so that, um, you know, they can start to embody those traits uh, a little bit sooner so that they're not waiting until they're, you know, seniors or leading the team themselves to actually learn these traits. And as you said, starting from scratch or starting from zero each time, but um, starting to, maybe you're putting together meetings, you know, putting together meetings or workshops of um, starting to get the juniors involved a little bit earlier. So it's almost like a junior captain situation. Um, and, you know, some of the, I've seen situations where um, there's, you know, an, an individual mentor situation where some of the seniors are um, taking some of the freshmen under their wing. Um, it could be also the juniors taking the freshmen under their wing. So it's, um, you know, during that transition period that somebody goes from, let's say from high school to college tennis, um, having somebody who's been through it, who knows the ropes a little bit more, um, has that experience, can answer some of those questions can be, you know, really helpful so that when that freshman is in a leadership position in, you know, two or three years, they, they've, you know, have already had that firsthand experience from having those conversations, those one-on-one conversations with the captain, with their leader. Um, and, you know, as a coach or as a sports psychology professional, there's a lot that you can do um, to start to cultivate that by keeping, you know, that, those, that group identity in mind, right? So by, okay, if our goal, if, what, if our part of our vision is teamwork, and that's one of our core values here, okay, how can we cultivate that through, you know, on a daily or weekly basis? Can we start to set up some of these um, some of these meetings that we're talking about? Can we start to put together some upperclassmen and lower, you know, and, and underclassmen um, with sort of a mentor type situation um, in order to help to cultivate that that sort of uh, environment that we want? And even though you know, I mean, some people may be listening and, and thinking, "Well, this all sounds great." But how d- does this really apply for tennis teams? Because as we mentioned, it's coactive. Like I don't necessarily need to engage with my teammates if I don't want to. I can just show up for my match, play one or two singles, and then I go home. Um, and yeah, you could you could look at it that way. Um, and and you might have a successful team in, in an adult league that way. Um, but you're going to get so much more out of this if you are thinking more about this group identity. And certainly at the college and high school level, this idea of leadership and passing things on is really important. I think when we look at developing 
this group identity, developing cohesion and chemistry, we're really talking about relationships. We're talking about connectivity between players and, and or teammates. And when we, when we have strong relationships, we have strong connectivity, we are more resilient. We're going to be able to endure setbacks more easily than if we we're a fractured group. Um, we'll be more accountable for taking positive action, again, if we're more of a group than we are just a, a collection of individuals. And so it's really important that when we think about leadership, we think about group identity, that we place an emphasis on it for these teams because those teams will be more resilient. They will be more motivated. They will be able to handle the inevitable ups and downs of a season. Not everybody goes undefeated. Certainly there are teams that, that, that do that, but that's really the exception not the rule. There's always going to be some little difficult things that happen. And if we can stay unified through those things, stay connected to our values, stay connected to our vision, uh, stay connected to our goals and how we want to behave on a, on a daily basis, and that we use communication, connectivity, and relationships, we're going to be a much tougher team to beat. And in the long term, will be a, a team that's more focused on achieving what it wants rather than, I think you used this term earlier, wishful thinking. Well, like, yeah, we, yeah we'd like to win the league, but then everybody just goes out and does what they normally do, and it, so nothing changes. Sure, sure. And, and do, our, do our daily actions coincide with that, right? We want to win the league. Do our daily acts? are we... Is each individual doing everything that they can to get closer to that goal as a team? Um, so I think that's an important piece here. Um, and then as as a team, how can we start to really hone in on, okay, what's most important to us? Okay, what's that identity? But then what are you know what what do we all feel are some important things that are going to help get us closer to? where we want to be closer to those goals, closer to that team that we want to embody. One thing that um, I've taken part of um, is, you know, having conversations and this maybe starts to, to bridge that gap to the goals piece, um, Brian, but um, you know, starting, I I've been a part of certain conversations where um, you know, very open conversation where, okay, if this is who we want to be as a team, what are some things that we need to do in order to get there and trying to, Number one, put down on paper or maybe on a on a whiteboard. Okay, what are some of the most important things that we need to do to have a successful season to be that team that we want to be? Okay, maybe it's communicating well on court with each other. Maybe it's doing really well in the classroom, right, in the high school or college setting. Um, that, as as we all know, academics can get in the way at times, and for college teams, for college players, um, and most. Um, college players don't end up becoming professionals. So the, the academic piece is obviously important. So maybe it's the academic piece, maybe it's team communication, maybe it's really focusing on the strength and conditioning piece. Maybe they want, you know, trying to be faster as a team, trying to, um, you know, have better endurance so that those three set matches um, 
you know, players are feeling more fit during those moments and trying, you know, maybe one of the team visions is to be the, the fittest team so that um, in a close, really close match that comes down to um, one match here or there or a third set here or there that, you know, you're raising your chances of performing well in that moment, you know, at the end of a two and a half, three hour match because of that work that you're putting in in the gym or that work that you're putting in on the track and you feel confident in your abilities, maybe even more so in that moment because of that work that you're putting in on a day in day out basis. So having this conversations as a team about certain goals, about certain things that, okay, if, if this is our overall vision, here are five things or 10 things that are going to help get us closer to that, that communication piece, that strength and conditioning piece, that academic piece, perhaps that um, sportsmanship piece, you know, all the, the mental toughness piece, all these different pieces and also trying to, okay, if these, we recognize that these are some of the most important pieces. I think an important part is trying to assess, you know, maybe without that judgment, but, um, trying to objectively, if possible, as a team assess where the team is at in terms of those, those goals and those different pieces. So, okay. If we think that community, let's keep those same examples. Communication is our most important goal. How would we rate? And you can use, you know, rating scale, perhaps how would we rate where we're at with, with the team currently with, you know, with, with that goal. Um, and, and trying to understand, and, you know, maybe it's a rating scale, maybe it's sort of a team conversation, but trying to understand where, where the team is at. So if there's eight goals, let's just say and eight pieces that you want to focus on. Okay. These are certain ones that we feel like we're currently doing a great job at certain ones that we feel like we're struggling. We have, you know, further ways to go. So it makes it a little bit easier from that point to identify where that focus goes. One of the challenges that always goes along with when you're developing goals and what you need to do is that that transition from being good to becoming great. And, and sure. what is the biggest part of that is the willingness to be uncomfortable. Being good, right, where you are today, very comfortable. You can just keep doing what you're doing and and, and you'll you'll continue to be good. You may not improve much may improve a little bit may plateau whatever um but that's where a lot of people are they're at the comfortable stage in, in being good if somehow we can work into this scenario with a team is this recognition that if you want to be great if you want to achieve these goals you say you want to achieve you have to embrace being a little bit uncomfortable and doing some of these things we're asking you to do, even having conversations about why we is important, what our values are, what's our vision, what are our goals, what we would like to do. Um, these are, in some ways, out of the norm. They're, they're getting out of your comfort zone when you're having these types of conversations. And, and so even just, there may even be resistance to just attempting what we're talking about. Um, but then that's the, that's the piece that we're kind of honing in on now. If you want to go from good to great, it's got to be some levels of discomfort there in doing some things you haven't done before, not sure how they'll turn out. Maybe your game even gets worse. That can happen for a little bit before it gets better. Um, and so I think it's embracing that, embracing that a bit of unknown, embracing that discomfort. Um, but if we can do that, 
then over time, things will certainly get better. And as you said, it's about figuring out, okay, what do we actually want to do? You know, some ways of looking at that. One thing that um, I've done with teams is something called a construction model. And you can use this for different behaviors, but it's about helping you, first of all, define your thoughts on a particular topic. So let's say we see ourselves as a hardworking team. That might, and, and so we want to cultivate that as a team. So you would go through a process of writing down, okay, in order to, you know, cultivate this idea of being a hardworking team, what are some things that we will do? And they can be just sort of general. Hey, we'll work hard in the gym. We'll, um, you know, give great effort, attitude, and practice, etc. Part two would be if we want to cultivate hardworking as a, as a core value of our team, what are some things we'll never do? And this is a really good accountability practice. So and some of it might be just the opposite of what you wrote and what you'll, you'll do, but some other things may not be. You may come up with some other aspects of that. And, and the never do section is important because you may notice that you're going to be doing some of these things and you'll say, oh, wait, we said we'd never do that. We just did it. Okay. So it's not about being perfect, but it's about, it's really, it's about accountability and understanding. We just, we just did something that's outside of our core value. We got to fix that. And then parts three and four are more about how we implement that uh, general perspective on something like hardworking. So what are we going to do weekly that shows we're hardworking? You know, and that could be we're going to have, um, you know, every week we're going to get together for 6 a.m. training run or we're going to right, do something. It's something like that. And then on the daily basis, what are you going to do daily to show that there's some hard work? And there can be overlap between the sections. That's okay. But if we can get down to weekly and daily behaviors that we believe will help us realize a core value or a goal, then we have a much better chance of making that happen. Yeah, I, I, that's, that, that's the type of um, – that's something specific that I would say a lot of, a lot of athletes and a lot of teams can, can implement. And, and can learn from, um, not just, okay, what do we want to do, but also really honing in on that, on that second piece. What do we you know? What are some behaviors that we want to be avoiding and, you know, not expecting perfection that, you know, that you mentioned that the accountability piece, um, you know, it's, it's always, it's always the process, right? Not expecting that, you know, not these things in that second category, not expecting that the team or individuals will never be doing any of those, but okay. This is something that we can revisit if it does, if and when it does happen, right? If, if we want to be constantly supportive as a team and you have situations where players aren't supporting each other or putting their own needs and wants ahead of the team, then, okay, maybe this is a situation to revisit that and to have that conversation. So I think laying that all out clearly ahead of time um, and, you know, breaking it down into the, you know, into those smaller pieces helps so that when these situations occur, it's a lot easier to address them because it's, this is something that the team as a whole bought into and helped to design. So if that's not happening, then, 
that then you know then a conversation needs to take place to address that and to figure out you know the best way to move forward from there so i i really like that i would say that's something that um a lot of individuals and a lot of teams can really put into practice yeah and uh, i know i've done that with some of the teams that i work with um you mentioned earlier, you know, being like the fittest team, that's definitely been the mantra of, of some of the teams that I've worked with and, and that's been been successful. But you can't just say you want to be the fittest team. There's a lot of work that goes into that and, um, you know, there's a, some pain, some discomfort that goes along with that. Um, I think one of the things that, you know, I'd like to um, maybe conclude on for my portion of this conversation, Josh, is the... Um, importance of enjoyment and positive emotions in a team um, because that definitely helps to build um, or helps what's, what's the proper term here really psychological capital meaning that we have more coping resources when we're enjoying what we're doing when we have more positive emotions when we're using humor we can handle things more easily, rough things, tough calls, um, whatever. Uh, you know, just the difficulty of, of playing a tennis match, right? There's so many ups and downs that are going to normally happen. And so when we stay positive together, we can handle challenges much more easily. So as we're trying to do things in practice or whatever – we want to make sure as coaches, as captains, as, as leaders of teams, that we're trying to create a, a positive environment for learning and working together um, and really embracing the fact that these relationships are, are very important. When we can use humor, you know, we sometimes have to be careful with sarcasm and satire, but you know, when we can use humor in a, in a positive way that can help build confidence um, when we can take a business uh, approach to preparation and, and but still have some enjoyment, enjoy the process of being professional about what you do. Um, so the more that we can promote that enjoyable, positive team atmosphere and, and, and really build the relationships around that, uh, you're going to see your team be more confident. You're going to see your team be more resilient. You're going to see your team be more motivated. And you can use your leadership group as a means of, of doing that. And, you know, when you have a leadership group like that, you know, if we talk about a little bit about motivation theory, self-determination theory, you're giving them autonomy. You're giving them a say in what's happening, right? And that automatically helps with motivation. So I think that's kind of like the last piece I'd like to make, Josh. Um, like get your reaction and then also, you know, how you'd like to end. Yeah, no, I, I think the enjoyment piece is important because there, as we've talked about in this conversation, as we've talked about probably in, in most conversations there in over the course of a season, over the course of a tennis match, there are ups and downs and those are inevitable. So if, if you are not enjoying that process of improvement, of getting a little bit better, um, individually and as a team, then it becomes a lot tougher to ultimately reach those goals. So I, I, the, the enjoyment piece and players buying into that team identity and that, those team goals are certainly going to help with that. 
um, if their value, if their own individual values and beliefs are aligned with those of the team, certainly. Um, so uh, the the enjoyment piece and enjoying that process of working towards those goals and not just thinking about you know where you want to get, thinking about the destination or the outcome, and constantly being disappointed that you're not there yet, um, and without without you know that that focus and that enjoyment of the day-to-day process of the of the grind of the hard work of the ups and downs and you know getting getting out ahead of it and having you know understanding that that you know these ups and downs are inevitable that they will come i think can help to maintain that enjoyment and that sense of optimism and that sense of positivity um that you you want to cultivate um so I, I, I like that. And um, I, I, I would also touch on the autonomy piece, um, but I would touch on it in terms of this entire thing, right? So um, this entire conversation. So by having athletes take control, you know, take control of this process with some guidance, right? So with some guidance from a sports psychology professional, from their coaches, but if, if this is something that the athletes on the team are really helping to design, really helping to really putting their own input in, um, and it's not something that is imposed on from, from coaches and from, you know, from outside sources, but it's really something that the athletes are designing and this, and they're embodying, um, they're, they're going to buy in a lot more. Their, their day-to-day actions are going to really be representative of those goals are what that vision is. So um, I think that autonomy piece is is huge. I think is, is possibly the, the biggest piece here because um, that will help with that ownership piece. That helps an athlete take ownership over this process if they feel like, hey, I helped to decide, um, you know, what what was going to be included in this. I, I help. You know, this is something that's important to me and to us as a team. So I think that autonomy piece for the individual and for the team is really important here in terms of how athletes comply with their goals, with their vision, with this entire process. So great conversation, Josh, about teams. Um, probably could go on for a while, uh, but if, if people listening have any questions with respect to this, you know, email us at, at tennisiqpodcast at gmail.com and we'll We'll do our best to, you know, answer answer those questions or guide you to uh, some things that you can do with your teams, or uh, if it's an adult league team, you know, uh, that as well. So, thank you for listening. Um, for more on today's episode, please check out our show notes. Um, you can subscribe to the show on your podcast platform of choice, including YouTube, so you can be notified of new episodes. Also, please check out our Instagram account. Thanks again, and we'll talk to you soon in our next episode.